Welcome to Builder Funnel Radio. Here you'll learn about how to grow your home building, remodeling, or contracting business. If you're not growing, you're moving backward. So we want you to always be in growth mode. This podcast has really turned into a movement and community of people who want to grow personally and professionally. Here we bring you some of the best marketing, sales, and business minds in the industry so you can elevate your business. All right, let's dive into the show. Hey guys, did you know that 72% of client unhappiness is directly attributed to a lack of communication during projects? The team over at BuildBook has solved that problem once and for all with a tool that keeps all the conversations and decisions between you, your team, and your clients in one place. Their simple, powerful app helps you create daily logs, schedule and manage your client tasks, keep track of selections, process change orders, and so much more. I met the BuildBook team in Vegas at IBS earlier this year, where they were chosen as a finalist for the most innovative construction tool of 2020, which is saying a lot considering how many tools are actually out there. If you're looking to remove the stress from your projects, make your clients happier, and increase your profits, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BuildBook to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. There's absolutely no risk to try it. So go ahead and hit pause and text build book to 33777 to take advantage of the trial and score the 45% off. This deal isn't available anywhere else. So I recommend at least trying out the software. All right, let's dive into today's show. Hey guys, welcome back to Builder Funnel Radio. This is episode 99 with Dustin Carr. And Dustin is a leadership and business coach. And in today's episode, we dive into that topic specifically leadership. He has a really great framework for thinking through how to, I guess, develop your own leadership style, but also how to implement kind of a strategy for improving things across the board within yourself, your organization. And it's a really, really good conversation. He has a a great approach to this and a really solid framework that'll make things a lot easier for you going forward in terms of decision making and how you do hiring and uh, those different kind of big components within your business and your life in general. So hope you enjoy this conversation. Again, this is episode 99 with Dustin Carr. Hey, Dustin, glad to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks so much. Glad to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. And uh, I, I got really excited about it as we, we got connected maybe a week or two ago and just chatting about leadership and some of you know the, the concepts around that that you've been developing and, and talking about. And it's pretty powerful stuff. So I'm excited to, to dig into the meat of it. But um, I guess let's, let's rewind a little bit. How did you get involved in the leadership space and you know, talk about all this stuff? Where did it all yeah. start? You know, it's funny. I think anytime you ask someone that question, they look back and their first answer is like, well, I have no idea. Like it just, yeah. just sort of <laughs> ended up here. Sure. There's some intentionality, but I don't think, you know, when, when someone said, Hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Leadership and business coach wasn't anywhere near the, the top of the list. And for coming, a guy like me, I switched my major in college like four times. <laughs> so I thought I wanted to be lots of things. I ended up graduating with a psychology degree which the fascinating thing about a, a bachelor's in psychology is there's not a whole lot you can do with it. Other not a lot of jobs with that, no, with that there requirement are, looking for. <laughs> there are, but there are just enough to make you realize if you're going to work in that field, you probably need to go back and get a master's or something else. But I ended up 
in the business world and then went back and got my MBA. But you know, it's funny, I tell people that I've used my, I use my psychology degree way more than I use my business degree, right? Because, yes. and I think that's how I ended up in this space because to me, leadership really is just influence, right? That's what John Maxwell would say. And we all influence people and every business, no matter what industry I've ever been a part of, people are always the most complicated piece. Like everybody's job would be easier if people weren't involved, whether they were, they were team members or, you know, people that they're trying to lead and, or even customers, you know, as I was in the retail space. So uh, it was just sort of a, a natural progression for me as I had some sales jobs, but I was never, never wanted to be a sales guy. Uh, I always wanted to be more of that consultant in nature. And so I did that, whether I was working for organizations and then it eventually just led me the opportunity to go out and do that on my own with teams and individuals. That's cool. Yeah. And it, it's interesting that you did get that bachelor's in psychology because yeah, as you kind of dig into, you know, leadership, marketing, sales, like that psychology background probably is more important than you could have ever guessed, you know, all the time, <laughs> all the time. You know, I will tell people the MBA gets me in the door and then the psychology degree helps me actually do a really good job. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that's exactly what it's about, especially when you're dealing with small businesses or family businesses spent a lot of time working with family owned businesses, you know, and family owned businesses are hard, you know, when every dinner is a board meeting um, and you never get to leave work, those conversations can be even harder. And I found myself at times what felt like doing as much, you know, family, family counseling as you do uh, business, business counseling. So just sort of the nature of it. Yeah. And it's funny too. I find that you, you definitely experience that in sales too. You know, if you're, especially in a more, complex sale, you start asking just lots of questions because you have to do a lot of discovery. Yeah. And then all of yeah. a sudden, you're, all the, you know, life problems and different things are coming onto the table. And, you know, but it's all part of it, you know, and uh, yep. I guess I'm curious to dive into the leadership piece a little bit more. I feel like when that topic comes up, it's such a broad topic. It can be an intimidating topic. Sometimes when you think about developing a skill, like I'm going to get better at, you know, remodeling or I'm going to get better at even sales. It seems like there's a little bit more of a framework, but leadership, man, that's a broad one. So why is it such an important topic, you know, besides maybe the obvious and not just from a business sense, but just as an individual to, to always be working on your own leadership skills? Yeah, because so much of what's revolved around leadership impacts the way we show up. The way you do sales is is unique to you, right? Now, there are strategies and there are processes that work, but even people that follow the process will all do it a little differently, right? And that all comes from inside. And the way I think about the process, the way I think about people, you know, I grew up, I grew up in sales, like at an early age, 10, 11, I was working at a flea market here in Northern Indiana, selling duffel bags and luggage and fanny packs when they were a thing. And so wait, those start, aren't still a thing. Well, <laughs> they weren't, they were, they were a thing and then they weren't. And maybe unfortunately they are a thing. Yeah, again. Now they're back. <laughs> uh, now they're back. Like most fashion trends, good or bad. But what you learn, especially in the selling process is how do you read people? What's most important to them, right? Because if I only want to show up, if I only want to show up and I, I have my process and I have my way and I have my talking points, but I'm not listening to you, I'm going to struggle. Like, and so for me, leadership puts everybody in a position to do all those other things well. If I want to run the business well, if I want to train people well, if I want to have a great sales system or a great 
sales process. I want to have great customer relations. All of that to me falls under the umbrella of leadership. So you're right. There's not like do these five things and you're a better leader necessarily because there's communication and there's strategy and there's, but leadership is this all encompassing umbrella, which is why I think sometimes people can dismiss it because you're like, ah, it's that warm, fuzzy stuff. Like I don't need that. Okay. You don't, but tell me you get frustrated with that guy every single time you talk to him. So let's talk about it. And what I'm doing in that moment is really influence coaching. When, if you just transfer, you know, if you take out leadership and put in influence, it probably sounds a little better because we all want to influence, right? We all, at some level, deep down, we all want to get our way. I mean, that's what every conversation is about. And if we can help you figure out a way to get your way better and in the process, helping other people, that really is, puts us in the best position for conversation. So yeah, leadership's a warm fuzzy until people start to realize the reach and impact it can have in the business. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And yeah, let's start breaking it down a little bit. You have uh, what you call the impact trifecta. So what is that? Yeah, you know, and and some of it's common sense. You talk about, listen, I need to develop myself. You know, if I'm a leader of a business, if I'm the owner, I should really probably work on myself. I should work on my business. And I should probably at some level work on my my team or, or something like that. And so I look at those three, the, the idea of this impact trifecta is that you can do any one of those three areas, develop yourself, work on your business or work on your customers. Or if you're a leader, your customer really is your team members, right? That, that's who you're serving. And you can work on any one of those individually and it's fine. In fact, you can work on two of those at a time and it's even better. But if you want to have the most impact, right? So if you think about three overlapping circles, that spot right in the middle, that's where we want to get to. And so the idea of the impact trifecta is you can't just work on one because we all gravitate towards one of those that we don't like, right? And so what happens is, is if you think about those three circles and you take out the customer and you're only worried about yourself and the business, the back door of the operations, you're what I call the box checker, right? Well, uh, listen, corporate says I got to follow this process, right? You know, listen, it, it's, I mean, the relationships are fine, but it's really just about getting, it's about getting to the end result, right? I'm going to focus on what needs to get done. And as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, I'll be just fine, right? Because they've left out the customer. Where I find a lot of people is this is this next one. And it's this idea that if you don't work on yourself, so you're only mm-hmm. focused on the business and the customer, right? This is where we think, well, all that self stuff is, that's all that psychobabble, warm, fuzzy. So I'm only going to focus on myself or my business and my customers. And then you're just the employee. Or if you're a leader, this is where you're a manager. Like it's all about the paycheck. It's all about the biggest dollars. It's all about the the numbers. It's all about my team getting the biggest. Um, and at the end of the day, I'm going to make it happen. At the end of the day, my team's going to make it happen. And but this is what lots of people chase. And then when they they get to a point where something has changed in their life, you know, they'll call it a midlife crisis. They call it empty nest syndrome. They lose jobs. They change a job, and all of a sudden they're stuck and they don't know what to do. That's what happens when you leave out the self. You just become so focused on, and by the way, money is important and I'm all for everybody making as much of it as possible. But if it's only about that, you're going to miss it. And eventually something will, will happen that will call, give you pause, right? And we've been in a, in a season in 2020 where a lot of what people anchor themselves in has been taken from them. I know we're going to talk about that in a little bit. So I'll move on to this third, this third piece of this. And this is where a lot of salespeople find themselves is they don't worry about the back end of the corporate side because they're not in the corporate office and 
let's be honest, people in corporate really don't have any idea what goes on in the field anyways, right? They're, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They sit behind a desk They're and they don't, really, they don't really know. They have no idea what it's like, you know, quote unquote, in the real world. And so they're only thinking of themselves and the customer and where those two overlap, these are the friends. Like these are the guys that love a good relationship. They love a good customer dinner. And by the way, I'm only going to deliver good news. Like if there's any bad news, yeah, corporate, you can do that because it was your decision anyways, right? These are the guys who who will go to the customer. They'll go, I know, I agree with you, but you know, the idiot in finance said we got to do it this way. So I'm just doing what I'm supposed to because they don't ever want to put themselves in a in a bad spot, right? And I'm going to argue that the, the best sales guys are the ones that build relationships inside all three of those circles so well that they can deliver the hard news. Like when I was when I was in a sales role and I had 54 retail locations I was responsible for, if there was bad news to be had, I wanted to deliver it. Like if I only show up bringing donuts and good news, then I'm actually not bringing much value to them at all. I'm a heck of a friend. Like everybody would love me as a neighbor, but they're not really going to count on me to help them grow their business. They're going to count on me to come in and try to peddle some of my stuff. And that's where it gets to be a problem. So the idea is all all three of those are critically important. You can't leave any of them out. And so when we work with, when I work with teams and individuals, we go, we're going to work on all three of these. And while, yeah, everyone's business is a little unique, everyone's business isn't all that different. Like when we talk the business side, okay, there are metrics that really matter. Now, what the metrics are in a small home builder versus, you know, someone who's building hundreds or thousands of homes or is in retail or is in manufacturing or hospitality, what the metrics are, those, the, the categories are different, but the metrics broadly are still important. So we, we get this framework and then we can start to dive in. And what I find is most companies go, well, no, no, let's just work on the customer side. Like we need to help them be better there. Or well, we really need to help them on the business end because they don't know a lot. And candidly, our onboarding program is not very good. So let's do that. And that's all fine. But I've always argued that you really need to do all three. If you want to have the most impact for an individual, for an organization, and for your customers, you have to develop all three simultaneously to give the best picture possible. Interesting. So you're you're saying you can't really just like pick one, start developing that, pick the next one, kind of move through them. So if you're going to work on them all at the same time, you know, that, that may sound like a big, big bite to, you know, does, uh, for, for like, some people. Like, yeah, how do you approach that? Like, how, where, where do I start? And I will tell you, while you build them all at the same time, you do, st- I always start with self because that's the hardest and, but that's the most foundational to everything else. Cause the way I, the way I work inside the business and the way I work with customers is based off who I am. Right. And this is where there does get to be some psychology involved. Right. And this is the real, this is the real work of leadership. You know, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that leaders work from the inside out and that people develop from the inside out, right. That behaviors are one thing, but if you want to know what people really believe, you can watch how they act and it will tell you for the, for the most part. And so you got to start with yourself and then, and then you can build from that to talk about all those other areas. But if you don't start with yourself, here's what happens. You go to a business conference on how to deal on the back end of business, or you go to a sales conference, how to deal with customers, and you do all of that stuff. And it's fascinating, and it's wonderful, and it's amazing. And then six months later, you're like, I don't even remember that guy's name or what he talked about. I know, I know it changed my life for the four hours I was there, but nothing stuck. 
And why did nothing stick? Because it was all this external behavioral stuff. And behaviors are really hard to change unless there's some internal change to start with. So you always start with yourself. Like even, I mean, if you wanted to lose weight, yeah, you would need to change the way you eat. But there better be a mind shift about what you think about diet and exercise. Because you're only going to eat rice cakes for so long and unless you're convinced <laughs> it's going to work. And you start to believe it a little bit, right? For the record, you should never eat rice cakes. I don't care what you're trying to do. Things are awful. Anyways, it always starts with yourself, Spencer. I mean, here's how I tell people. Listen, you are the least common denominator of every bad decision in your life. Like, it may have been those three girlfriends. Uh, it may have been that former partner of yours. It might be those five customers. But the least common denominator and all of that is you. So we should yeah. probably start with we should probably start with you. Yeah, it's a good point. Well, I'll go throw out my rice cakes because uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> a little peanut butter and cinnamon, yeah. you might be okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I definitely get the chocolate ones. So there, oh, you know, there they're, you go. There okay. you go. Yeah, it's only eleven <laughs> carbs, so it gets me through the morning. You know, <laughs> that's right. So, so you start with self and then, you know, and then you're also starting to develop these other two systems. Do you, do you find, are there just some good kind of tactical things that people are listening to this? How do you work on yourself? You know, what does that look like? You know, cause we're still kind of operating in that like kind of yep. fluffy area. So what yep. are some good tactical things people can do? So I, you know, I'm a fan of, of, of assessments to help create because developing yourself really starts with a level of self-awareness recognize where you're good and where you're not because we all have blinders on at some level and we all lean into the things that make us feel the most comfortable we shy away from the things we don't like or that you know make us uncomfortable some of us we don't mind conflict at all others of us avoid conflict at all costs right and we all know we all know them we just don't ever like to deal with them and, and by the way if you don't know them just talk to the people that are closest to you like yeah. talk to the people you lead if you're married or in a relationship, talk to your significant other because I bet they have a list of things you could work on. And they're like, I've been waiting for you to ask. Yeah, Here are the finally. <laughs> yeah, finally. <laughs> and, and that's that we're, we all, we're all that way, right? And so tactically, we start looking at some assessments, whether it's behavioral assessments or using you know some strength-based assessments to find out where you're good. And then it really is about what are you trying to get out of it? you know. And so one of the questions I always ask is, where do you struggle most as it relates to your business? Because that'll start to that'll start to give me some insight. And the difference is a business consultant asks that question and they instantly want to get to a solution that's driven around a system or a formula. And none of that is bad. But I always start to go, well, wait, wait, why is that? Right? Why? Well, let me give you an let me give you an example. Working with an organization that was um, growing in the home building industry. The growing and getting to the point where they really needed some internal administrative help, not just office. I'm not talking about just answering phones, but they needed someone to help on some bookkeeping and some other things. And one of the owners had said, yeah, no, you know, the bookkeeping is my thing. It will always be my thing. I'm, I'm not ever giving that up. Okay. Well, when people make exclusive statements like that broadly in my line of work, a red flag goes up and going, all right, there's a trigger. Like we I would joke about that, but there's a trigger there. There's something that you can tell when someone gets agitated about something. So I'm like, okay, so help me understand. And he was like, well, you know, it's a complicated business. We've got actually a couple businesses under this umbrella. And all that. I go, okay. I said, but that's all just competency stuff, right? Like you can train anybody to do that. I go, 
what's the fear? Like, what's that? Where's that come from in your voice? Where's that never come from? And they said, well, you know, I've been in family business a long time and, and just, I've just not seen it work well. I go, okay, can you give me an example? Peeling back well, the onion. <laughs> right. Peeling back the onion, right? You just keep asking, well, I said, can you give me an example? Like, like an example that you're, that you've heard that's, that's happened to someone. And finally they just went, listen, my dad owned a business for 35 years and he had three bookkeepers steal from him. I'm not giving anyone else my books. Bingo. There it is. Now we got it. Now this has nothing to do with work at this point, right? This has everything to do with all of that from when they were a teenager and and hearing their dad talk about losing money because of a bookkeeper. 25 years later, that's the thing that's holding them up from growing their business. That's the thing. I'll give you. I'll give you another example, just of how this works in general. We had a uh, a leader who we were looking at. From, they were looking at promoting to a higher level, and one of the feedbacks this leader got was he doesn't take criticism very well. Right. He just every time someone criticizes him, he's out to prove him wrong. Right. And so I asked him. I said, "Where does that come from? Like, where does that determination in you come from?" I go, "Can you pinpoint?" And he goes, "Yeah, absolutely." And he's in his late twenties. He said, when I was 15 years old, my parents got divorced and I was in a really bad spot and everything started to crumble around me. And my basketball coach, because things were crumbling around me, he kicked me off the team. And when he did, he told me, he said, you're not going to be much good at anything because of this attitude. And he goes, I determined right then and there that I would never let anyone tell me I wasn't good enough. And I'm going... Holy cow. So now when a leader comes to him and challenges him, the 15 year old version of himself is going to go screw you. I'm going to prove you wrong. That's not something you just pick up in a business book and apply a formula to, (laughs) but it was absolutely impacting business and it was impacting customers. And that's why, that's why you start with self. And normally it takes some self assessments and it takes somebody else to walk you through it, right? Like you can be self-aware but being self-aware and getting the help to change it is really different, which is why at some level, I think everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs to spend time with someone. In fact, I'm a firm believer, Spencer, that at some point in your life, everyone should probably go see a counselor. Like yeah. you should. I wish I would have went 10 years or 15 years earlier. It would have saved me so much headache in my personal life and in my professional life only because there's somebody else to help us process, not to tell me what to do, but to go, have you thought about that? right? Because it really is self-awareness. So it's a lot of those assessments that we use. And then it's just engaging in conversation. And the reason we start there is now that we can do that. Now, when we go in to talk about communication, we go in to talk about strategic planning, we go in to talk about financial execution or a sales call, everything gets filtered through with that, that internal piece, right? Yeah. yeah. Through that internal piece. If you've followed Builder Funnel for even a little bit, you know we're huge believers in the inbound marketing methodology. One of the most important phases is the client delight phase. By delighting customers, you turn them into promoters of your business and your brand. The only way to get people to go out of their way to sing your praises is to wow them throughout the process. This is something the guys over at BillBook are helping you do. Better communication leads to better outcomes. And that means communication at every level daily logs, client selections, punch lists, and change orders. Today, that communication gets super fragmented between email, text, and phone calls. And inevitably, things fall through the cracks. 
With BuildBook, everything funnels through one simple app, keeping everyone on the same page and your clients filled with delight. No more digging through texts or random emails looking for client approvals. Just one place to see everything going on with a project. And as a reminder, they're offering a special deal to all Builder Funnel Radio listeners. Hit pause right now and text BUILDBOOK to 33777 for a free trial of the software plus 45% off the first year. All right, let's get back to the show. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really good stuff. And those examples are really powerful because you can see, I bet if you think about your own life, you can see some of those things happening. And uh, yeah, one of the the questions that I'm super curious to get your take on it, because you take these assessments and you identify strengths, weaknesses, or you know areas for improvement, that type of thing. There's a couple of schools of thought, you know, do you just double down on your strengths and, you know, charge hard there? Or do you try to fix your weaknesses or, you know, do you do both? I guess I'm curious to get your, yeah, your take on right. that one. Yeah. Because the idea of, of Gallup strength finders is focus on your top five and then surround yourself with people that you're not very good at. And I, and by the way, there is some truth to that, right? Because you will naturally do some things better and I need to lean into those. And there's certain things I know I'm just not very good at that I need help with. The problem is, especially as it relates to leadership, is people will use that as an excuse not to grow. Mm. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm an introvert, so I just don't ever speak in public. Okay. Having a preference for introversion is not an excuse. Well, listen, I'm just a very black and white, straightforward guy. Like, I just like brutal honesty. Okay. Well, pardon my French, but that just means you're going to be an asshole to everybody. Like, no, no, no. Being brutally honest is one thing, but it's not an excuse for bad behavior. It may help you understand it, but it's not an, it's not licensed to just act however you want, right? Because if you do that, like you that. never grow. Yeah. And we know that, you know, people in their forties that still act like they're 25 because well, listen, it's just the way I'm wired. It's just the way God made me. Mm, no, I think we're designed to grow. We're designed to mature, right? And all you have to do is look at someone who's 50 or 60 and look it back and they're going to go, man, like, I wish I could go back because I would do it differently. I would still try to do it but I would do it differently. So yeah, yeah. Focus, know what your strengths are, but where you have weaknesses as it relates to relationships, as it relates to influence, you you absolutely have to work on them because otherwise those will be the things that'll get in your way. Yeah, that's a super good point. And I feel like even if you're just making those weaknesses, you're just mitigating them and turning them to neutral, or at least you know how to navigate, you know, then you can use your superpowers and, you know, excel there. But you, you hit on one that, you know, I experienced personally, you know, in junior high and high school, like I didn't even want to raise my hand in class. I was so afraid to speak, you know, and, and now, you know, I do podcasts and do speaking around yep. the country and different things. And I, I would definitely, you know, categorize myself as very introverted, but, you know, to your point, you kind of, you can work on those things and you can improve and you can build a sense of comfort around some of those things that mm-hmm. were weaknesses and maybe they're still not your favorite. Yeah. But that's okay. Uh, that's so I, okay. I, yeah, I like I like that answer. Um, you can always you can always figure a way a way to improve something, even if it's a yeah. little bit. You know. do better every time you do. You want to be the best at it. It's not about that, right? Because in the end, I think authenticity wins. Like watching you do what you do, the way you were designed to do it, is way better than you doing this podcast and, and having an outside professional talking head do it. It just it's better. Authenticity always wins. Good point. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about this idea of um, gut check leadership. I know that was something that you and I had chatted about for a couple minutes. And so for everyone listening, 
what is gut check leadership? How would you describe that? Yeah. So the, the idea of a gut check, right? It actually comes from the world of tennis. So if you watch tennis and someone makes a really good shot or, or someone gets a really good shot made on them, a lot of times you see them stop and they're looking at their racket and they're playing with the things, right? They're thinking through, all right, what just happened? What am I going to do? Well, historically, tennis racket strings were made of gut from cats, I believe. So it was called a gut check. It was this, it was this pause to assess the state and condition or the progress of where you were at. So this idea of gut check leadership is nothing more than it's a pause to assess the state progress or condition of you and your leadership, of you and the way you influence. So I think of it like a, uh, almost like a pyramid, right? And at the foundation is you and who you are at your core. That's your identity, right? Who are you? And, you know, where does your intrinsic value come from? This is what we talked about earlier. A lot of people that had their identity in certain things has been taken from them early in 2020. If your identity was wrapped up in your job and now you lost your job, that's a problem, right? If your identity was wrapped up in your kids' uh, sports, that was a problem. If, if, if your identity was wrapped up in your schooling and now you're, you lost your graduation, all of that stuff happens. So when we talk about job changes and we talk about other things, it's really an identity crisis, right? I mean, that idea that I said earlier, that empty nest syndrome really is an identity crisis. And it means who am I when I'm not a parent? Yeah. Because every my entire life was wrapped up in my kids, right? And not that it shouldn't be for a season, but it has to be bigger than that. And so that's where we start peeling back that onion a lot, right? And this idea of where does your value really lie? Like at the end of the night, when you finally lay down in your bed and you put your phone down before you fall asleep, who are you? And do you like that person? And if not, what are you going to do about it? Now, that's a scary, miserable question that people don't like to answer, <laughs> Sounds right? Sounds intense, yeah. <laughs> it does. It, it, abs- it absolutely is intense. But this is where we start because this is the most critical piece of that self as part of the trifecta. This is exactly where we start. So your identity is foundational. At the very top of the mountain is your mission. That's what are you chasing every single day? Every one of us every day are chasing something, right? We're going to leave a legacy. If I were to die today, within 48 hours, my life would be summed up in the newspaper in 250 words or less. Would I like what they have to say about me, right? And if I don't, then I need to start to change it, right? Because the reality is life is short, right? Life, life really is short. And so you need to know what you're chasing. And I would argue it's not just a paycheck. Um, I would argue it's not just a great time and a fancy home and a country club membership and great vacations, right? It's about, to me, it's about legacy that lasts well beyond you, whether that's in your business, right? I mean, unless your succession plan is to, when you're ready to retire, you just go ahead and liquidate everything and take all the money, then you're building something that's going to try to outlast you, right? And the same is true for families. Like I've got four boys. That's what I'm trying to build, right? My faith is really important to me. I'm trying to build a legacy that's going to go beyond me and and my in my mind and my world is going to stretch into eternity. So that's at the top. That's what we're chasing. And then you've got sort of the sides of this pyramid. They're like the guardrails. They're what I call your core values. Right? What are those values that are most important to you now? Values we all have a lot of them, but we all have some that are more important to us than others. And my core values might be different than yours. It doesn't mean yours are the wrong ones. They're just what they are for you, right? And those values normally come out of our highs and lows in our lives, right? You know, my parents got divorced. 
And so I can, I promised myself I was never going to marry until I knew it was right because commitment is a big deal to me. Okay. My parents were married for 70 years. So commitment is a big deal to me. Like commitment is a value. And so when people rub up against that value, that's where trouble happens. Most times when you get angry, you get frustrated. It's because someone is rubbing up against one of your values. When you get really fired up about stuff and excited, it's because something or someone is rubbing up against your values. So what are the boundaries? What are the rules by which you're going to play your life, right? So if you think about identities, that foundation, mission is at the top and your core values are the, are the boundaries. Now you got to create the path to get to the top, right? And this to me really is vision. Vision is wh- what's the path I'm going to take and what are the behaviors I'm going to get to that help me get to my mission? As long as they stay inside my core values, right? Because as soon as, be- mm-hmm. as soon as a behavior bounces outside the core values, and there's been a lot of people this happens to, your company asks you to do something and you know it's outside one of your core values. And in that moment, you have a choice to make. You either do it or you don't. And if you do it, what it probably costs you is a little bit of self-respect, Right? Because you look yourself in the mirror and go, I say I'm a man of my word, but I can't believe I told the customer that. I mean, it wasn't an outright lie, but I know it wasn't fully true, right? Or you don't do it and it still costs you something. It may cost you uh, the customer. It may cost you a promotion. It may cost you your job. It may cost you friends, but you go home at night and go, at least I held true to what I believe, right? And so a lot of times when people go, listen, I just don't fit in the company, what they're saying is there's culturally, because of my values, they just don't align. They don't have to be the same, but there's not an alignment. So you put all of that together and you get, in my world, you get the formula for what a personal mission statement looks like. Like I'm a firm believer, every individual and every business needs a mission statement. You know, I'll go to these conferences and I'll speak and I'll say, how many of you work for an organization that has a mission statement? And nearly every hand goes up. Mm-hmm. And then I say, how many of you can recite it without looking at your business card or your email signature? And then, you know, 90% of the hands go down. Well, it's something like, and again, if it's not something you can recite and you believe and filters decisions, then with all due respect, it's not a mission statement. It's a marketing slogan because it looks good on the wall or for, or for investors. And so you start to, you start to create a, a framework for building a personal mission statement and a professional one, right? Who are you? That's your identity. What are you chasing and what are the rules by which you're going to play? And once you do that, every behavior, every decision you have to make, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's either inside my core values or it's not. And it either gets me closer to my mission or it doesn't. And if it's outside my values, the answer is no. I don't care how much money it is. I don't care how great the promotion or what the title. The answer is no. And so so here's how that plays out for me then, because this is where I'm at, right? I'm 43. I left a a job when I was 40 years old to start doing this, you know, left a job that was fine, but it wasn't fulfilling, right? It wasn't driving me. And so at 40 years old with four kids and a mortgage, I say goodbye to 95% of my income. And my wife's like, are we good? Like, yeah, I think we're fine. She's like, no, are we going to pay the mortgage? I'm like, yeah, we're fine for a couple months and we'll figure the rest of it out. Like she's way more risk adverse and probably someone would say a little more grounded than I am, but it's worked out, right? And so for me, it becomes, I want to be, for me, my personal mission statement. And again, right, I said my faith is really important to me. It filters everything I do in every space. So for me, it's to be a man of God, identity, who has kingdom impact on my family, friends, and community, mission, by 
thinking differently, leading courageously, living passionately. Those are my three core values. So now that I have that, now I can start making decisions, right? And that for me, I know comes from just knowing that life is short and this weird, rare genetic disease that runs in my family that I have, that I've known since I have, since I've been 26, that there's no cure for, that nobody's lived past 62. Like that gives me a framework. But I would argue that, man, wouldn't it be great if I could give that framework to my 17 year old? Right. Because now Mm -hmm. he may bounce from job to job, but nothing will feel like a job. Like I will never have another job the rest of my life because I'm not just going to do something because I need money, right? Because I've got a different perspective. And not, not only that, what gut check leadership gives me is clarity. That's all it does, right? That's all a mission statement really does is it gives you clarity on what you should be doing and what you shouldn't be doing. Yeah. It seems like as you're talking through it, it really becomes a great decision-making tool because you're able to just you so that you've got the boundaries, you've got where you're directionally headed and then who you are as a person and that's your identity and you're going, well, if if it's not fitting in this, you know, no, yep. the answer is no. That's is exactly that right. how you think about it? And that's exactly right, right? Like, does it get me closer to what I'm trying to accomplish and is it in, within my values? And if the answer to those two questions are yes, then I can decide because sometimes I may not be always be going up. It's not a straight line to the mission. Sure. It's a zigzag. And yeah, I may detour and go down over here, but I know ultimately where I'm going. It becomes a framework for businesses too. So we'll, we'll use this exact framework for, for businesses to help them understand their identity. Who are you as an organization, right? What are you chasing as an organization? What are your values? If, if a company doesn't know their values, and by the way, you live out your values every day, whether you've listed them or not. Like you can ask, hey, you can ask the people that know you best. Hey, what are the five values you think are most important to me? Well, listen, you really love honesty. You, uh, you know, you are passion. Like they, people can start to rattle them off. But once you clarify them as an organization, now you start hiring towards them. Now you start promoting towards them, right? Because what happens? Most times you just promote the guy that, or the gal that knows the most, right? We strictly hire based off competence. And I would argue that competence is a piece of it, but we need to hire off of connection, how well we connect. That has to do with the values we all believe in. And you have to hire off a character. That becomes the identity. That becomes the personal piece because we all know people who are really good at what they do and nobody can stand to work with them. Yeah. Like he's the, yeah. he's the best designer in the world, but I don't even want to work with him because he's such a, okay, like that's no good. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that was something we actually started doing several years back was hiring and having a big piece of the interview process be centered around finding people that are aligned with our company core values. And man, that was a game changer, you know? So, you know, this stuff, it really works. It's, it's kind of a beast to work your way through it. And how do you pick your core values and which ones do you actually want to put on paper and which ones do you actually want to live out in your daily weekly meetings and your actions and what you do. But man, it's, it's a worthwhile exercise. <laughs> it really is. And you know, you know, people, a lot of people, you know, my age, Gen X and above get, well, that's just a millennial thing. <laughs> I, would, I would say, no, it's not. The millennials maybe are the first one that have demanded it and are looking for it, but it's not like everybody goes, I don't like that guy. Right. Like when they leave a job and go somewhere else, what I tell leaders, I said, listen, when you have someone new starting on your team, they didn't leave their last place of employment because it was fantastic and amazing and the best thing they've ever had. 
And so all they really hope out of you as a leader is you don't suck as bad as the last leader. And I would argue our goal is it just to not suck as bad as the last team or my job is not listen. Well, we're not as bad as the competition. Okay. That shouldn't be the standard. I mean, yeah, that's not a know, good, we build houses. For, right? <laughs> we built, we build houses better than the guys down the street. Like that's not the standard by which we should hold ourselves. But so many times it is right. And we think that's the culture. Well, we've created a great culture. You know, your culture just isn't as bad as everybody else's. Yeah. And there's a diff. there's a, there's, it's subtle, but there's a distinct difference. And when you find one, you want to stay. And you'll, you'll sacrifice time, you'll sacrifice money to an extent to stay because there's so much more reward out of being at a place where you align with values and you believe in the people. It's, it sets you up for a whole lot more success. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. And, and I'm, you know, for, for people listening, I'm curious, where do you start with kind of the, the pyramid? You got the mission, you got identity and you've got core values, you know, is there a good way to get started down that process? I know we won't have time to dig into everything, but you know, the, those are some big pieces, you know, uh, some critical components. Yeah. Yep. So I, I mean, I think to me, and again, that identity piece is important when you talk an individual, that's always where we start. The identity is really important with a business. A lot of times where I start are the values right? Because the values yeah. are already established. We just got to put words to them, right? Everyone sense. already knows. And so normally where we start is we get the whole team together. And early on, you want to get as many people to have input as possible, That we can't just do it with a senior leadership team. You've got to get everyone involved. And I give them an index card. And then we, we talk about what values are, right? Because there are values and then there are behaviors related to values. So think of it like this. Honesty is a behavioral expression of integrity. Mm. Right. Like, like honesty could be a value, but more likely the real value is integrity. And so we give them some tools, some list of values. We collect those, we, we sort of group them up into headings. So we get, we don't just go, we'll come up with five. Well, no, you can't just do that because people really do need some understanding. So we give them some of that and we go, all right, everyone in the company on this index card, write down what you think the five values are of this company, not the aspirational ones. Not the ones that you know, they're, boy, there's no way we're that, but I really wish we were. No, pick out the ones that you know you are. And then I collect it, we collect them all. And then we start to do a process of voting and elimination. We try to whittle that down to three to five, and then we have to define them. So some of the ones that don't make the cut, we can start to incorporate those into a definition, right? Because it's sure. one thing to have the value, but it's another thing then to define it. And you have to define the value. So everyone knows when we say integrity, here's what we mean. So now it's even clearer in the expectations in terms of in terms of what that looks like. So for me, it's it's the values for an organization. Start with the values, just get a list. And again, you can pretty easily find a list of core values online and, and just start that process. When I deal with individuals, oh, we go right to the heart of it with identity. Yeah, yeah, that makes right? sense. And that's where things like Myers Briggs or a DISC assessments or some of those other things. Uh, we've created an assessment around gut check leadership that allows you to assess where you are as an individual inside inside those four areas. So when we do coaching with clients, we know where we need to start to press some as well. That's cool. Yeah, that that's good advice. You know, so company start with the core values. You know, for yourself. You know, start with that identity. Dustin, this has been awesome. If people want to learn more about you or get connected with you, what's the best way to, to reach out? 
Yeah, the easiest place to find me is on LinkedIn or on uh, Instagram, posting all my content there, and they can they can send me a direct message through either one of either one of those platforms. Okay, right on. Well, I got one last section of the show for us. Uh, we call it the Fast Five. So I'm going to hit you with five rapid fire questions. First one is your favorite business book and why? Favorite business book is called The Master Coach by Greg Thompson. It's about the mindset a leader needs to have if they truly want to develop people for their, their best and not the leader's best. And he gives all sorts of strategies on how to actually coach for their improvement, not getting out of it what I want to get out of it from them. Cool. Cool. I've never heard of that one. So I'll have to add it to my list. That's, it's good. Yeah. It really is. Cool. All right. Next question. Who is the most inspirational person in your life? Most inspirational person ever was my dad. My dad had the same, you know, the rare genetic disease. He, I, he passed it down to me. He passed away now about 11 years ago at age 53. And, you know, he, I wrote a book for my boys and in the, 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 the dedication of the book was to my dad. And, and it, it simply said, in showing me how to die, you showed me how to live. Right. And I think you can learn a lot about people when they face death and watching that and even watching my grandpa go through that it's given me a perspective on how to live my life. So he by far is the most inspirational person to me. That's awesome. Yeah. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? Wow. One superpower. I'd like to fly. Flying's a good one. (laughs) I mean, I, I can get places quicker. I can get out of places quicker. Yeah. I think flying would probably be, would be it for now. Cool. Cool. All right. Describe yourself in three words. Describe myself in three words. So I wear a bracelet on my wrist on my wrist and it's the three things I think everybody in life is here for. So for me, those three words are relationships, influence, and impact. Very good. All right. Final question. If you could leave our listeners with one piece of advice, what would that be? Don't shy away from the hard things in general. Like I know when we've talked today, there's been those things that have, that have shown up in someone's past over and over and they thought of it. Like, oh, I should really deal with that. Don't shy away from that. Lean into that because that's where, that's where the magic is. Don't, don't shy away from the hard things of looking into the mirror. Very good. Good stuff. Well, Dustin, I really appreciate you joining me today. Yes. Spencer, great. This has been, this has been a fun time. I appreciate it. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dustin. And as always, I know you're on the go. So let's pull out a couple of big takeaways. There were several during this conversation and definitely some big, heavy topics to work through. I know we've spent quite a bit of time working through some of these things like core values. And uh, I was even just telling Dustin after we signed off, I liked his uh, addition to the core values and defining them and having some examples. And so I know that was a big takeaway for me was not only having the core values, but having definitions for them. And I think in terms of the the tangible takeaways, that was the first one. So he said, from a business standpoint, you know, really starting with those core values, and that can be a way, you know, maybe the next step is, hey, I'm going to get together a team lunch, maybe it's over Zoom right now. And we're all going to write down what we think are our top five core values and, uh, and then compile those, you know, put them up on the board and start voting on those and trying to narrow them down. And, and that's, I think, a good process to get started. And in terms of other takeaways, I liked his comment about working on self. 
first as a part of that, uh, that trifecta. And so really maybe starting with some assessments, there are some great ones out there. Dustin mentioned a couple, uh, Myers-Briggs, the DISC, and, uh, and I know he said he's got one for his gut check leadership as well. And so I think starting with those assessments and then identifying what are those areas I'm weak, what are the areas I'm strong, and can I start to bolster both of those, you know, and really double down on the strengths, but then kind of mitigate those weaknesses. So I think those were two really good takeaways, good places to start on this particular journey. And uh, if you've already done some of those things, then you'll maybe be starting in the middle or just continuing to do some of the things that you've been implementing. But this stuff is really powerful. I really enjoyed talking to Dustin about it, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. And as always, we would really appreciate if you take just a minute or two, head over to iTunes, leave us a quick review, really helps us spread the word and keep us bringing on some amazing guests like Dustin. So thanks again for listening, guys. We'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio. Thanks again for listening, everybody. And as a quick reminder, text radio to 33777 for some free goodies as a thank you for listening to the show. And if you got some value from today's episode, I just ask that you leave us a quick review on iTunes. It really helps us spread the word and grow this awesome community of people who are working to improve their lives and their businesses. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on Builder Funnel Radio.